Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. And on today's review-only episode of the show, I'm going to be joined by New Haven Independent reporter Alan Appel for a review of The Salesman, a new Oscar-nominated movie from Iranian director Asghar Farhadi. So, Hi, Tom. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks for being Hi. here, as always. And Pleasure. I, you're on the Facebook Live, so looking as sharp and salesman-like as ever. And I, uh, I've got a, a few uh, quotations from the Arthur Miller text that I may drop over the course of our conversation, oh, but One of my favorite a, new, plays, right. a new motto for our program is perhaps, be liked and you will never want. <laughs> and we are, I think... Be liked and you will never... Be liked and you will never want. That's one, one of, one of is the, that one of Willie Loman's one of, axioms? It's kind of the, the mode by which he lives. But my, fa- you, my favorite line, Tom, in the play is when Willie gives advice to his son, Biff, who's not doing too well in the business world, and he, and he says to him, the idea is not just to be liked, but to be well-liked. That is, that, and then, of course, he says, I'm a very well-liked man, and then I'm not a well-liked man. But we'll dive into this. And why, why are you talking about Arthur Miller on a film podcast, you may ask? Well, because this, sh- this, this movie that we're going to talk about is an adaptation of sorts of the 1949 uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning play from, uh, from Arthur Miller. So The Salesman... Uh, directed by Asghar Farhadi, tells the story of Ahmad and Rana Etesami, a married couple who live in Tehran and who are playing the lead roles in their theater company's new Farsi production of Arthur Miller's 1949 play. Uh, as the movie's plot kicks into gear with a crumbling apartment complex that sends the couple scrambling for a new home, and then a traumatic encounter at that new home that throws Ahmad and Rana's lives into complete confusion and disarray, Farhadi always makes sure to cut back to the ongoing rehearsals and performances of this new production of Miller's play. And in a movie grounded in kind of relentless realism, these scenes act as a kind of workplace setting where we get to see these characters uh, repress and flail within and try to work through their various personal hardships. But uh, the movie hasn't chosen Miller's play arbitrarily, and slowly but surely the kind of mythos of the withering Brooklyn salesman Willie Loman and his desperate dependent wife Linda makes itself felt in Ahmad and Rana's own saga of of willful self-deception, both on and off stage. Um, so, Alan, there are a number of uh, connections to the play that I've been thinking about in the past few days since reading the play. I, I read it after I saw the movie. Uh, and the one that jumped out uh, most at me, that Farhadi was really trying to emphasize was not necessarily the kind of self-destructive idealism of Willie Loman, but rather this notion that in a society where there's such a great imbalance of power between men and women, you can bet that sexual violence and exploitation and humiliation are going to run rampantly. So I, I wonder, as you watch, as someone familiar with this play and now familiar with the movie, as you watched Farhadi's The Salesman, where was your mind trying to make those connections between... Uh, Ahmed and Rana's story and that of Willie and Linda Lohman, or were you so wrapped up in the contemporary 21st century Tehran that you just had to know what happened to these characters and what was going to happen to them after? Well, first of all, I was absolutely delighted um, to walk into the theater and to realize this was not a movie about a, um, uh, an Iranian salesman, but it was, it was about the, the putting on of salesmen, which is what theater people call death of a salesman and um uh and it was wonderful and i I was also delighted in the first uh the first uh, moments of the movie because um if memory serves the 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 late 1940s it was 48 or 49 the original production um of this play 
dictated in, in, in Miller's stage directions to have um, bluesy mood music uh, and a very kind of, um, uh, I guess, mythological set, something very atmospheric. Almost no uh, contemporary versions of, of the play use that. So it was, it was delightful to see an old-fashioned kind of thing. Um, and, uh, uh, and we see that from the very opening of this movie, right? The, the movie is bookended by shots of the set uh, in the theater where this couple is rehearsing and then performing as William Linda Lohman. So well, we, more, more we open in that theatrical uh, area. More right? than bookended, as <laughs> you say, he comes back on a regular basis. So to get to your question, um, you know, the movie really asks for you to look for uh, why he's framing the, the film this way. And what, you know, uh, it's the kind of thing where you could write a good high school English paper about, you know, who's uh, uh, the tit for tat. I mean, how, how the correspondence works. I confess, um, uh, I was kind of looking for that, but I'm not sure, um, you know, I'm not sure I, I found it there. The, the, um, there's a, what a, a dissonance or a lack of congruity about the, the situation because, uh, uh, while there are these thematic com- um, uh, comparisons that are very valid like, among the ones that you said, I mean, the, 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 the death of a salesman is about older people, and this is a very young couple. And um, frankly, for me, the, the uh, kind of wonderful uh, um, uh, uh, where he was going with the framing device really kicks in only in the last third of the film where... Um, I guess this is uh, like a trigger uh, alert here. The, uh, the 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 older man who figures very prominently as the uh, the person who uh, he's uh, like committed uh, a, a pretty serious transgression does against. a slashing attack. Um, right. You know, a serious transgression. Well, and and the basic thing is he's unfaithful to his wife, whom we meet a little later, which is which is the really the turning point in the in the um, uh, kind of uh, the, the moral breakdown of Willie Loman. He's He's unfaithful to his wife who gives him everything. Uh, but, but this only kicks in towards the end. So how to see the relationship of the young couple who are, are, are so young to be playing uh, Linda and Willie. Uh, it, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I actually kind of put it out of my mind to find the comparisons and enjoyed a movie which really was a kind of cultural transport to, to, to life in contemporary Tehran. Um, so I, I think that uh, I think there's a lot to unpack there, and I don't want to just rely upon comparisons to the play and and how this functions as a faithful or unfaithful adaptation. But I will say right. that as I've been thinking about this, um, as I walked over today, uh, and what the you know what how the main characters in this movie, as young as they are, how could they be analogous to William Linda? And I think that kind of in the same way that, you know, certain authors reimagine uh, iconic stories from the perspectives of different characters, like Beowulf reimagined from the the monster or uh, um, Jane Eyre reimagined from the woman trapped in, in the attic. I kind of feel like this is a reimagining of Death of a Salesman, but told from the perspective of the son of Biff. Uh, more than it is told from the perspective of Willie Loman, in that, yes, we do have our, our main character who is acting as Willie in the play, uh, but he is also the one who, um, the key kind of, uh, 
trauma and drama for his character is not a transgression against his family that he has committed, but rather one that he has discovered, kind of committed against the woman he loves. And if you remember the relationship between Biff and Linda in the play, I mean, what really sets that family a crumbling is when the child realizes that his father, who he's so idealized, has been stepping out on his mom with a prostitute in Boston. And I think that the very kind of prolonged confrontation between our main character and the older kind of father-in-law of a baker uh, in the last third of the movie is actually, it's, it's kind of a riff on the confrontation between Biff and Willie, but with our main character as Biff in that what he is dealing with, and this is a kind of transition to what I think is so remarkable about this movie and how it grounds itself in 21st century Tehran as much in, as mid-century Brooklyn, is that by by moving from the perspective of the salesman who is kind of rife with self-delusion, uh, instead we we get to sit with the son who is completely bewildered and uncertain and kind of thrown off of his balance by... Um, by the prospect of humiliation. Not that he has a relationship with this guy who has committed this transgression against his wife. In fact, it's a complete stranger. But he is so concerned about his own humiliation and about the humiliation of his wife and about perpetrating humiliation against the man who has done this deed that that, that is the um, kind of emotional response that completely consumes him and that throws his own family into disarray. And I think that that fits so well with this um, much more conservative religious culture in which the story plays out. And this is true in a number of Farhadi's movies, including A Separation, which won an Oscar for Best Foreign Film a couple of years ago, in that he explores that very, you know, rife tension between um, kind of modern 21st century sensibilities uh, and a very kind of almost medieval religious uh, culture in which you are forced to abide by certain moral strictures and overlook the hypocrisies uh, of the actions that those demand. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, that, that's that's a good that's a good thesis that uh, that he's Biff. On the other hand, the problem in in sort of comprehension is that he plays Willie. I think he's kind of a combination of the two, but I think but, he's more Biff than uh, than than Willie. Well, what's what's um, you know what's really it, it is interesting in this in this film th- that um, I, I realized this after I walked out that there is that there is nothing um, uh, Islamic in this movie at all, which is really quite wonderful. I mean, my uh, maybe that's a, not quite the subject we're discussing at the moment, but but um, yeah, the, I mean, I think the, that it's this is presented as being in a conservative kind of moralistic culture not necessarily of course it is an islamic culture being set in tehran but it's more that there is like a a larger um uh, set of religious and social expectations that these characters are chafing against that is quite conservative in its stipulation well well right but what so the only thing that is islamic about it i guess uh, you know the women wears wear headscarves and so on and so forth but we never we never hear the call to prayer. We never, you know, there's one reference um, to uh, uh, when they're rehearsing the play, somebody says they're coming to the censors are coming tonight. They may, you, we may have to remove three lines and, and that that's done very quickly, which I, I, I think is a wonderful. It's a signal that this, the, Oh, by the way, unless you like, uh, like uh, to a viewer like me, if you're wondering about this, yes, that is an issue here, but that's not our movie. But I guess my my point is only that um, 
what comes through as Islamic about it is th- this um, this quality of how men rule, totally uh, men rule, and um, uh, e- even at, towards the end of the film, when Rana tells Ahmad that if he, you know, reveals to this old sick guy uh, what uh, to his family, our marriage is over, and he, I, I think it's wonderful the way they. The way they deal with that, and that is, there's something almost, uh, you know, wonderful and universal about that. Um, you know, there's almost there's something uh, kind of in parallel, something remarkably ambiguous, like ethnically ambiguous about Death of a Salesman too. And that reading it, I assumed that all the characters were Jewish in Brooklyn in mid 20th century uh, America, but there's no explicit reference to anyone's Judaism. There's some in part in the way that Linda talks and the way she kind of rearranges her sentence structure, it sounds a bit like a, um, a uh, kind of an old world Jewish dialect, but just like with this movie, it's, it's not foregrounded that this is like an, an ethnic or a religiously specific story, but rather, I mean, that mid-century Brooklyn is presented, especially the Loman household is just as patriarchal as, well, as uh, what we experience right. here in the well, sales. You're, you're, you're talking to an old English teacher, and that's that's absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, Loman, I mean Loman, Arthur Miller was so focused on, uh, although it's totally based on his uh, on his, uh, his upper middle class yeah. Jewish family and his uncle and people who were in the rag trade who who uh, fell on bad times during the depression. But he insisted that his uh, that his that his um, his his models were uh, Greek tragedies and the universality of that. And uh, so much so, actually, that I think even um, w- one of our local playwrights, uh, Donald um, Margulies? Uh, Margulies, wrote a play ca- uh, uh, called The Loman Family Chronicles, which is about Willie's bar mitzvah. So take that, Arthur Miller. But, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. See, my guess with this is that, is that uh, Farhadi got very involved with the idea of doing this play and finding the kind of connections. And somehow... Um, uh, the, the, as you say, the Biff character, the younger guy, became important. Uh, he, he, you know, he the movie kind of dictated where it was going to go. What it tr- profoundly has in common with Death of a Salesman, uh, in a kind of universal theme way, as well as style, is that the great achievement of Death of a Salesman is that uh, it's uh, uh, the tension is 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 palpable from the the very from the very first instant. Um, uh, it's almost, uh, you're almost watching the replay of a kind of, uh, like, uh, 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 well, in Willie's case, a suicide, uh, in, you know, the, the steps to a suicide and this, this movie from the very opening sequences where the young couple has to evacuate because the building is made of such crappy materials and standards that, and then you see the cracks in the glass and the cracks in the pavement. That's the tension, and the achievement of the film is that just as in the play, he keeps that tension going, and he ups the ante of that tension all the way, and so much so that the last third of the play, when arguably the Willie character, the uh, the older man, uh, who uh, you know slashed uh, uh, Rana, uh, that whole last third, third of the it's like almost like a play. Uh, you don't you forget that there's a camera involved. I'm I'm so glad that you brought up the opening sequence and in in uh, comparison to the closing one as well because I think that this re- we haven't spoken at all about Farhadi as a filmmaker and I think that he 
really um and he has almost a like spielbergian eye for like symbolic pandemonium in that opening sequence in that the so we see the if we open in the theater with this very complicated um but also bare set um that is going to be the yeah, location but stu- stuff is falling stuff is well i mean in the uh, in and breaking the, in the theater so if we op- we open in the theater with the right. loman household and we see the the kind of bare bones construction of the house where these guys are going to be playing um their theatrical roles and then the very next scene we cut to the crumbling of the actual apartment complex and this i mean usually i'm thinking of like how most american directors would handle that kind of chaotic scene there will be a lot of very quick cuts and shouting and confusion falling down there are very few cuts these are a lot of long takes and that farhadi follows characters as they run along a hallway as they pick up their child at a doorstep and the way that he moves his camera to close on a window that's looking out on another scene of people rushing out and then we see a crack in the window appear oh it, it reminded me so much of um, of the water rippling in Jurassic Park when the kids are trapped in the car and they, they know the T-Rex is coming, not necessarily because they see the T-Rex, but because they see the the vibrations of the water. And I thought for this um, filmmaker who's adapting like a work of, you know, uh, kind of highbrow American theater, uh, to have that skill to ramp up that tension in an action sequence at the beginning of the movie, I found incredible. But it doesn't just, I mean, his uh, his camera eye doesn't just uh, um, perform like in that action sequence when we get to the new apartment and whenever the wife walks into the bathroom, everyone around me was just clenching up in their seat because you could feel that something terrible was about to happen in almost like a horror movie way. I mean, the well, soundtrack the, goes silent and you know about all of the threats that have come into this family uh, from the previous tenant beforehand. That's right. And to juxtapose that with the more staid theatrical presentation of the latter third, uh, I mean, I did feel like the, the latter dragged a little bit, but too I think long. you're right. Yeah, too I think, long, but I it's a that, play. That transition from right. movie to play, I right. found a really interesting one. Right, that's right. The first two thirds are a genuine movie, and it's funny that you talk about the Spielbergian uh, stylistic uh, touches. Uh, he uses the camera in a different way, but the but the tension. I mean, there are longer takes, but the but I was I was thinking of the opening of Saving Private Ryan, which is of course the uh, invasion of. Um, Omaha Beach, where, where there where there there are jump cuts, but there are also uh, long sequences as well. Yeah, th- this guy knows what he's doing, um, and uh, uh, the the movie is really uh, it's not only um, cascading hypertension, sort of cinematic hypertension, but it's also um, tremendously claustrophobic. Uh, these people are caught, um, and uh, you know, it's kind of, it's really kind of wonderful. It's like almost as if by the end of the movie, um, they go back into their play, and you- and and they have to they have to and they have to and and um, they have to carry on in their in their marriage. But is the marriage over as a result? Uh, and are they are they just actors to each other and no longer uh, such husband wonderful and wife? ambiguity? At you the don't end, know. Right? Oh. He is he's got great restraint. Mm-hmm. This isn't you know Willie. There's no ambiguity about Willie driving off the highway at the end of the death of a salesman. He's he's pretty clearly dead by the end of it. Right. But and, here you're right. The the question is has this relationship dissolved? And I think that that gets at well there another. Um, I'm glad you brought up claustrophobia because one, there's such symbolic resonance to that feeling claustrophobia, not just the urban claustrophobia that both 
Willie feels in in Brooklyn with all of these apartments shooting up around his previously kind of domesticated and uh, right. you know he has all these gardens that he can no longer plant because all these buildings too many people are in the neighborhood right. now. And in the play and in the movie they both reference what a what a crappy city it oh, is it should, love, should be favorite. torn down and rebuilt. And what's the response to that? He's, so they already did it. They already did it, and look what <laughs> happened. Right? Our main character says, "Wouldn't right. it be nice if we could tear this all down and, and start from scratch? Right. Bring the, back Nineveh." And, right? And and the character he's talking, he says, "We already tried that, and look what happened." And yeah, I love, he, he gets a tremendous amount of that kind of broad cultural stuff yeah. in this wonderfully natural back and forth between the characters. Right. right, and that's I mean that line speaks to me just like the censor line did, in that right. you're commenting upon the actual recent history of Tehran with the Islamic Revolution. Uh, and with the complete uh, just rebuilding of the city into this big kind of concrete block. But you also get, I mean, this is a very intimate family, like character drama. And these characters, they feel trapped, not necessarily because, and this, okay, another interesting thing about connections to Death of a Salesman, they feel very trapped in their situation, but they have no idea how responsible they are for the situation that they're in. Right. There's a lot of in Death of a Salesman, Willie is notoriously just incapable of recognizing his own responsibility for whatever successes or failures in his life. There's a lot of anxiety, but he is, um, you know, he can't quite make the connection between what he has actually done and where he is. It's either someone else's treating him unfairly or he should be somewhere like because of how well liked or disliked he is he should be in a different spot but that connection between his own actions and the outcome like his actual life there's like some serious there's a rift there and here there's a lot of again ambiguity as to how responsible are the characters i mean the talking about a patriarchal culture the wife is blamed by numerous people for letting this transgression happen to her. She in, almost invited the person into the house who winds, up, right. winds up hurting her. He accuses her of a lot of that. No, that's And how responsible, right? I mean, this the movie gets at it over and over again. How responsible are these people for this kind of misery that they're living through? Well, right. And it's, and it's, and, uh, uh, what, yes, what you get with Death of a Salesman is that the kind of, the, the world is changing, the big buildings are going up, the the business is changing and Willie it, it just kind of uh, can't keep up with the new sales techniques that uh, that uh, and his numbers are going down and uh, you know it's uh, it's out there and in this case even though uh, Imad is uh, not only an actor but he is uh, he he's clearly an admired um, kind of high school English teacher um, their forces in their world. Uh, that um, that are palpable. That there are, you know, the the Islam the Islamic State or whatever Revolutionary Guards. They're out there. They're not in the play, but boy, do you feel their pressures? And that these people um, are just kind of um, uh, under under the uh, under their thumb. And that's why uh, I think true. that's why I started off with talking about the impact of the prospect of humiliation. And again, this is an- another word that comes up a number of times over the course of the movie, in which Ahmad alludes to his own humiliation or saying when he has the old man trapped in his crumbling apartment he said he invites the old man's family there because he wants to humiliate him in front of his family and that that is the like in a very conservative religious culture that type of uh humiliation is the worst uh um, punishment that anyone can experience it's not necessarily um, going to jail or or um, even being killed or even being raped i mean it's the 
the prospect of talking about the rape is so much worse in the minds of a lot of the men in the story than what the actual rape itself. And I, right, and, and, and I guess it's it's maybe culturally uh, more acceptable uh, to show a film like this in Iran if if in fact the offender dies, uh, if he you know if if if, if I mean the, alter- the alternative was for Ahmad not to slap him. He could not. He you know he he carried it one step further. He did. He was he was going to keep the secret and preserve the marriage, but he could not resist um, the the humiliation. Uh, again, one of the big differences here is that is that you know Willie Loman is is always talked about as uh, as a kind of American version of a real tragic hero. You know with 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 uh, you know in internal flaws that he simply can't help and that get him. Um, in the case of Ahmad, it's almost as if the flaw is not in him as a person, but that he it's just reflective in the society of which he's a part. Which I think also applies to Willie, right? In that he's both tragic and this is a social drama, in that Willie is so convinced, he's so internalized, the social compulsion to go out there and be a business success, right. to make it's money. The, it's the bitch goddess of success that has <laughs> yeah. uh, seduced him more than anything else. That's true. You are listening to Deep Focus on WNHH LP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen. I'm talking with Alan Appel about The Salesman, a new movie from director Asghar Farhadi that is an, an adaptation, a riff, uh, includes <laughs> some thematic connections to Arthur Miller's uh, 1949 play, Death of a Salesman. Uh, I have, can I throw another quote at you and see if it inspires us sure. to, uh, to think about this movie in different ways? Actually, there are two. The, the first one is um, comes from Linda describing Willie, trying to, <laughs> to bolster him in the eyes of his two sons, who are very frustrated with the kind of insanity that they see in this character. Who's the other son besides there's, Biff? There's Biff and Hap, or Happy, who oh, has Hap. inherited the philandering characteristics of his dad. He's the right. one who goes and, out and... And, and Biff and just, is the, the BSer like his dad. Yeah. Um, so Linda says, Willie Loman never made a lot of money. His name was never in the paper. He's not the finest character that ever lived, but he's a human being, and a terrible thing is happening to him. So attention must be paid. Right. He's not allowed to fall into his grave like an old dog. That's the famous line. Attention, attention must, must be, be paid. paid. And I feel like this, even though that description is so important to Death of a Salesman, I don't, I don't know if that transfers as much to the salesman. And I kind of like how it doesn't transfer in that the Willie Loman analog and the old man who kind of commits the sexual transgression, he's like a figure of contentment. Right? He's a guy who, yes, he, he sells, you know, he's a salesman as well. He sells odds and ends out of his son-in-law's truck but he's also a man who kind of has everything that he wants he's not someone struggling against the um you know the prospect of ambition frustrated he's he's kind of he's he's happy in where he's at because of existing in a patriarchal structure there's not much demanded of you and there's a lot given to you now there's i think there's a lot of anxiety in the ahmad character but i don't know did you see anyone who um would fit the mold of he's a human being, a terrible thing is happening to him. He shouldn't be let to die like a dog. Did that add? No, that's the difference between a movie and a play. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, attention must be paid is a wonderfully uh, ambiguous line, but, um, right. Who should attention be paid to in this movie? Yeah. It's, right. yeah. I don't and, know if there's like well, a- and the other interesting kind of, uh, comparison now that I think about it is that the, the Ahmad character is not someone to whom attention must be paid although he's a literature professor so he it's almost you know 
Uh, and what I, a wonderful relationship he has with his students, right? Well, this that is, he, that's right. And, you know, it, uh, I, I guess I guess one of the things that uh, Farhadi did not do is have the kids being uh, study Death of a Salesman in class. I think they're reading, um, what are they reading, Hemingway or something? No, no, they're re- well, they're reading a play by an author with the... Uh, Arabic last name, so I assume it's or with with a name that seems to be a part of a kind of Middle Eastern canon of literature. Right. Uh, yeah. No. The the it, it's it's interesting. The you know the the movie is like uh it, it is is like um a map and then an overlay of the uh of the play and they they're they're never quite um they're never quite one on top of the other. They're always odd. I think that's that adds. Um, that adds a, a lot of interest uh, um, to it. I, you know, I, I, one thing that also occurs to me that uh, maybe uh, our listeners um, would be interested in is that uh, this is a real kind of um, detective who done it. Also, as a mod tries to figure out who 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 the person is who did this. Rana is willing to forget the whole thing, um, sort of. But she doesn't. It's it's odd. I mean, this is what makes this movie quite, quite r- really sophisticated. Uh, it, it's her uh, turning into a different person to some extent that seems to be propelling him as the the towards the only solution being to kind of cure her of her of her fear of doing everything. Is is her change of personality drive him to the humiliation? Or does he do it on his own? Um, but w- when he goes to find who is the person who did this, it's fascinating because he, he really is a magnificent detective. And the, where the attention is paid is in following the clues uh, and uh, the way he is able to determine finally who the old guy is because is really remarkable because he remembers something um about the broken glass as a result of the slashing attack that enables him to really um, put the finger on these guys. And the police are never involved. That's another aspect of this world where, you know, the, the, there's so much social control, but they never call the police, which reminds me of um, a certain uh, issues we have in our country. Sure. But also, I think there's a reluctance, not, beca- not just because of a distrust of law enforcement, but there's a reluctance to go public with something that involves, again, something that could incur shame and humiliation upon the family. Right. He wants to, as this uh, uh, English or literature teacher um, and amateur sleuth, he wants to resolve this with as few people as possible finding out what happened. Because this is an emasculating experience for him in a world that reveres patriarchy. Right. right. I mean, he and, is, and, and he just saw his wife. He didn't right. touch his wife. He, uh, uh, he feels completely ineffective in, uh, in ineffectual in having helped her. And I think that whereas she, you know, gives a number of, I think Linda also is a notoriously, uh, kind of passive character in the context of like what's actually written in the play. Now I know there's a lot of debate as to how, you know, how much fortitude she had to have to hold that family together for as long as she did. But she is written as, you know, in a patriarchal society, she is an incredibly deferential wife and she is always looking out to how best to prop up her withering husband here. uh, We have the wife completely understandably going back and forth in what she's asking her husband to do because she is dealing with a trauma and doesn't know what the right course of action is, but she's quite firm in the last third of the movie as to what she wants him to do in relation to the 
character who hurt her, right? Right. She is opting for forgiveness instead of uh, retribution. And I think that also causes quite a bit of consternation for a man who is uh, trying to exert his masculine authority. Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the one of the scenes that really exemplifies how how skillful uh, this story is, this filmmaking is, is that when is when Rana, um, I guess, senses that um, Ahmad may be taking a bad step, she decides, she sort of comes out of the cocoon she's been in as a result of the attack, and she um, she makes this wonderful pasta meal with the son of one of their friends, uh, because the this young couple is also thinking about making a life of their own and having a kid, despite these lousy apartments. And the meal is wonderful. It's pasta, and in and they begin to have a conversation halfway through the meal. The kid, little boy, is stuffing himself, and um, very casually, Imad asks her, um, "Where'd you get the money for all this stuff?" And he's and she says, "Well, it's it's your money that you left on the mantelpiece or wherever." And Imad pauses, um, thinks, and almost takes the food out of his mouth, removes the fork from his mouth, stands up, stops eating and pronounces that's his money. So the attacker, by way of his own kind of a personal way to do an atonement, had left the money as um, a compensation. In, in Death of a Salesman, wow. one of the revelations that uh, the uncle and kind of successful businessman Charlie delivers to um, Willie's kids is that, and I believe to Willie as well, is that as a salesman, you're really only selling one thing, and that's yourself. You are selling an idea of a better future than what whoever the customer has right now. But you're also, you are, you are the embodiment of that promise, right? It's not whatever is in your two suitcases. You are the person who is going to fulfill that, that promise of kind of improved, uh, approved life and, and happiness. And I love that scene where uh, the couple has finally found some kind of respite and distraction from all of the trauma that they've been dealing with when they invite the kid of one of their actors over for dinner right and And you're relaxing and the question is the money bought this wonderful meal and this small bit of happiness but at what cost right where did where did the money come from and ultimately i think both characters interpret it as the money came from kind of selling yourself even as inadvertently as it may be what they had to give up in order to achieve that little bit of calm was to sacrifice something integral to themselves. Um, even though it was like taken from them and not invited upon them, I think that the notion, if you ab- abstract a little bit from the movie itself and the plot, the notion is that when when you are, uh, like w- if you have a certain ideal in mind, the, the this tranquil family setting what is it that you're willing to sacrifice and how far are you willing to go to achieve that um, tranquility? And I think this, this movie shows that there are, you know, there is too high of a price for the ideal family structure that this society imposes on people. You shouldn't like these characters can't psychologically handle what they have to sacrifice in order to, to um, achieve whatever bit of like calm and family unity and peace uh, that they feel compelled to strive for, and but also what a what a scene! Um, what a what a great scene! I mean, you, I mean, if you were giving a class in uh, uh, in screenwriting, I mean, this is this is perfect. This wonderful uh, 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 calming moment that reveals the future and qualities of character, and you think the movie is going in this direction. In the midst of it, uh, with the uh, what is it, the shock of inevitability, 
uh, it turns and it goes bad because it's all been, uh, it is, so it solves problem A and it causes problem B and uh, on, on the movie rushes. I want to, before we wrap up our conversation, I want to get back to kind of where we started, which is the, um, this movie's kind of relationship to its theatrical source material of sorts. On the one hand, we've said that Farhadi is uh, a, a very talented filmmaker. And I think that we see that not just in the, not in the very tense scenes at home, not just in the crumbling of the house, um, but he also integrates certain kind of theatrical elements into his cinematic scenes, like in the crumbling of the house when we're introduced to the pandemonium of the stairwell by a mod ripping aside a curtain and all of a sudden framed by these two uh, window posts. We see the chaos in the uh, in the stairwell. We also we see the set of the theater of number of times. We see Ahmad rip the curtain again to look at the old man dying in the stairwell and at the very end of the movie. I feel like uh, Farhadi is very aware of this common criticism of movies that are based on plays by saying that you know they're too static, they're too overwritten. They feel like they're they they're meant to be you know played on a stage as opposed to in front of a movie camera. I feel like he's he's achieving kind of the best of both worlds, whereas he's taking the psychological drama of a play uh, and the like high quality of its uh, of its screenplay, but also bringing a a cinematic touch to like the representation. I, I mean, what when you're thinking about this movie as if not a straight adaptation of a play, somehow referencing a play, do, does it like work? work for you in that transition from play to uh to movie oh i i I think very much i mean i mean uh one of the one of the uh uh old saws or axioms or pieces of wisdom about should you take your story and make it a movie or make it a play is that if you want to make a movie if you have something to show make a movie if you have something to say write a play and uh, this guy, I, I don't know if Farhadi is a theater director, but he understands that that that. Um, I mean, to, to, to me, the uh, the uh, the the understanding of the relationship of uh, a movie and play comes through with uh, uh, the reticence that uh, that that uh, is it. Maybe it's cultural. I was asking myself the fact that these that these um, uh, characters stare at each other a great deal, and there's almost a kind of uh, tape delay. In their responses to each other, uh, this is what you this is what you do in a movie because you can watch you can watch them. Uh, every, everybody is sitting in the front row. Um, in a play, uh, I mean, uh, Death of a Salesman is very is very talky. This play is this movie. Uh, uh, this movie is not not talky. So. Um, yeah, no. Uh, and I think that's something so special about Death of a Salesman as a play as well, the way that it kind of breaks the bounds of uh, the kind of uniformity of just kind of uh, experiencing a play through dialogue through its innovative set and that you have these rooms stacked upon rooms and you have, I mean, there's very careful attention to where the light should be shining, where characters should be walking through doors and where they should be walking through walls. Uh, the chronology of Death of a Salesman is a very complicated one. Uh, and also the the notion of whether it's a reality or a fantasy that Willie's experiencing is very complicated. And I think that a lot of that is achieved through the kind of contortions of the set. And it kind of makes for a natural transition to a movie where you can um, explore so many different sets and use them to reflect on characters in a more natural way. Well, I don't know if Farhadi did research about the about the the origins of the play, but if memory serves, I mean, I think the title of the play was not "Death of a Salesman," 
And the early, it, it, it was something about like inside Willie Loman's head. I mean, I, I think Arthur Miller was getting a lot of psychotherapy or something. And this is the era of the, of the preeminence of uh, Freud in analysis. And, and uh, I, I think one of the uh, early drafts was that, uh, was that this whole thing was some sort of a playing out of fantasies inside, or, or, or some of the scenes were done uh, at, with, about fantasies. And in fact, uh, the, the, the in, in salesman, as they call it, the, there are some sequences like uh, his descriptions of his brother Ben going to Alaska, uh, entering as a pauper and coming out having killed grizzlies and being very famous. So there, there is that kind of um, uh, dreamlike mythical quality. Um, uh, this movie s- s- sets that tone with the, the kind of like, um, homage to the, to the original 1940s production in the beginning, but then it becomes, um, uh, very realistic, very, uh, uh, some people call it neorealism. Uh, I don't even know what that means anymore, but, but you do feel, I mean, as this movie has many virtues, you do feel that in addition to everything else that we've talked about, that you've had a real uh, experience of cultural transport to see how a young couple is trying to live and um, live their life and improve their life in contemporary Tehran. I mean, it's a, it's a fabulously uh, informative movie without uh, trying to be. And yet, as with any great artist who is able to work in like the mode of realism, they take everyday objects and turn them into symbols of artistic significance. And so even though it is a more co- like culturally authentic experience of 21st century Tehran, to open with the crumbling of an apartment building is not just something that seems very plausible in this uh, kind of poorly thrown together uh, urban block, but it's also you know just rife with symbolism about the imminent um, collapse of this, this couple's uh, relationship. So... Uh, yeah, I think he achieved something pretty special. Uh, I One more quote before we go. Willie says about himself, I think this may apply more to the wife and the salesman than to anyone else, but he says, you can't eat the orange and throw away the peels. A man is not just a piece of fruit. Well, well all right. Thank I you, Arthur. Uh, thank you, Willie. Yeah, thank you, Willie. Thank you, <laughs> Arthur. Thank you, uh, uh, Farhadi. Oh, and we should also say, We've talked about uh, other movies in the past where if you have a um, the movie written and directed and produced by the same person, it's usually a disaster because there's no extra set of eyes. I believe this was written, produced, and directed by Farhadi, and boy, he did a, he did a great job. Um, um, not you know not uh, of self editing here. That's like two strong endorsements for The Salesman, uh, which is playing at the Criterion Cinema and probably a whole bunch of theaters, but the one in downtown New Haven. And it's also been nominated for a Best Foreign Film Award at this year's Oscars. So uh, check it out. Let us know what you think, if you agree or disagree with either of our takes. And you can find a complete archive of Deep Focus shows online at deepfocusradio.com. We will catch up with you next week. Alan, thank you so much for, uh, for chatting. Thank you, Tom.